Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus, the Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we want to look at this aspect of avoiding the nation of Israel and their mistakes of how they did things in the past. We're going to be reading how we should go a different direction. In chapter 9, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul abandons his freedom, his rights, in order to bring the gospel to others. And it's not about my rights or your rights, but it's about doing what is right in the eyes of God so that we can bring the gospel to others. And in chapter 10, which is a chapter that was designated, but remember this is the flow of thought from what he was saying in chapter 9 to the thoughts that are coming forth in chapter 10. The chapters and the verses were added later. So we are to follow the example of Paul in the way that he's living, and now we are to avoid Israel's mistakes. And so let's read this chapter and see some of the principles that God is asking us to live by. Let's start by reading the first five verses which is almost an allegory or there is symbolism here that's teaching spiritual principles to us. Let's read the first five verses. Um, Chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. So just the opposite, when you look at verse 5, God was not pleased with them. And then we're going to go through the rest of the chapter. Even though God had done so much among them, revealed himself to them, Yet they did not walk by faith, they did not trust God, and they did not follow the ways of God. So when you go back to verse 1, he is is saying, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It's a reference and a symbolism of going back to the exodus of how they were guided and protected by God. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So when we look at this, the the baptism is here symbolic of them submitting themselves to the leadership and the authority of Moses. And they were baptized in the cloud and into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That through Moses, the guidance of God was coming and the protection of God was upon the Israelites. Think about the sea, when God calls the sea to open up and they pass through onto dry ground. But on the Egyptians that were coming after them to destroy them, the sea fell on them and destroyed them, but not the Israelites. 
the cloud gave them guidance through the day and so that they were baptized into Moses, his leadership, his guidance. God was using Moses to guide them and to protect them. When you go to verse 4 and verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. So when you look at this, they were drinking from a for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was the messiah was christ all of these terms are symbolic of what is referencing that god gave them food to drink god gave them water to drink that came from the rock manna from the sky but this was actually spiritual food spiritual drink and the symbolism that the rock that it gave forth water and gave them water to drink so that they could live. But it's all in symbolism of what God was doing for them. And when you look in the Gospel of John, think about John chapter 4, where the woman at the well, Jesus says, I'll give you water where you'll never thirst again. He's not talking about a physical water. Here, the symbolism is a physical miracle that was done, but it was much more understood as this was spiritual food. This was spiritual drink that God was given to them because it was a miracle of God in the flesh, physically, but they should have understood it as spiritual of what God was doing. So the rock was struck by Moses. Water came forth, gave them something to drink. They could live but it was actually spiritual food. So in John chapter four, I'll give you water where you'll never thirst again. John chapter six, he says, I am the bread that comes out of heaven, where if you'll eat of this bread, you will never thirst again. They ate the bread in the wilderness of the manna that came from God, but they became hungry again. They ate from water that came forth from the rock and yet they thirst again. But when we come to the Messiah, he gives us substance where we will never ever hunger or thirst again. What is Paul doing here? What is he, what is he saying? Is that these physical miracles, the rock, the manna, the cloud, the sea, the spiritual food and the water, all of this was actually something spiritually that God was doing in the lives of the nation of Israel. However, look at verse five. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. So after everything that God was doing, and remember, this is symbolism. The rock isn't actually the Messiah. It was not actually a baptism into Moses in the sense of the cloud or the, the sea coming down on the Egyptians, but it is representing symbolically what God was doing to the nation of Israel. Yet, nevertheless, they didn't trust in God. The most of them did not follow God, and there was a lack of understanding through these physical things, the spiritual work of God in their lives. Yeah, I think, Scott, what strikes me too in this is that, you know, you gotta think these you know, he's referencing the Israelites that saw the Red Sea parted. You know, this wasn't just a, a, little, uh, a little miracle. You know, this may be one of the greatest natural 
miracles that's talked about in the Bible, or one of them at least. You know, you're seeing a sea parted, rescuing them from the Egyptians, wiping out an entire nation that was coming against them. And then an also entire army. an entire army that was coming against them. Yeah, you're right. And then and then having food fall from heaven, you know, water come out of a rock that they can drink. You know, this were things that were quite, quite amazing if we were to see these today. Um, but still, you know, and, and avoiding, again, as you prefaced it, to avoid Israel's mistakes, they saw all of these and yet they still wanted to turn away and they still wanted to rebel and they still wanted to do some of the things Paul's going to talk about um, later on in this chapter, but but I can, you know I can't imagine that. I think that just shows our human nature. You could see a Red Sea parted and still be selfish and say, well, you know, I'm not protected enough. Let's go back there. It's better off if we were back in Egypt. And right, they start yeah. murmuring, yeah, and saying, let's go back to Egypt. And that's just fascinating to think that. But I guess we, you know, can you picture that in our own life? What? What has God done for us through through salvation and put it in present context? You know, what has he done for us through salvation in Christ, giving us eternal life, one with God, being able to communicate with him through his son? And Our are we, sins forgiven. Yeah, and are we still complaining? Is he, is he not pleased with us because we're still saying that's not enough? Yes. Know? It's what God has done for me now. Yeah. Instead of understanding the big picture of what God has has done for us for eternity, sometimes we're so temporal-minded, what is God doing for me now? I remember a young lady in Israel that said, I want to know if God really loves me. I want him to do and give me something today. She received as a gift on that day a guitar. That could have been from God, or it could have just been something that happened on that day. But just say if this was God proving his love for her. I said to her, what is the big deal about a guitar? You got a gift of a guitar compared to the forgiveness of God that comes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am blessed. We never need to forget about what God has done for me from an eternal standpoint. And when we lose sight of that, it becomes about what is God doing for me today? And you see that, Alan, in the life of Israel. I'm hungry. I need food. The complaining. I need a miracle. We need water. We're not trusting God. Did they not just see what God did for them? Yeah, it's really mind-blowing if you think about it. To bring them out of Egypt, to part the Red Sea, to give them a cloud by day and fire by night for manna to come from heaven, to take care of every aspect of their needs, not their wants, but their needs. And there should have been a trust in God. And now Paul is writing symbolically about these things, about the cloud, the sea, being baptized into Moses, the Messiah, the rock, And we understand from the New Covenant that this rock that comes out of the Messiah, this water that comes from the Messiah, is water that we drink up where we'll never thirst again, food that we will eat from that we'll never be hungry again. They had physical food, uh, physical water, yet they should have understood this as the provision of God. This was spiritually God ministering to them. It should have gone beyond the temporal, and it should have been the eternal that they were thinking of. Now, in the Messiah, we have that. We stand complete in him. 
they should have walked by faith. We should learn from their example. But it became about what has God done for me today? Yes, we saw in part the Red Sea, but we have this new challenge today. God, where are you? Where are you? What are you going to do for us today? It should have been trusting God all along the path that God had placed before them. Verse 5 again, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. So after they were full and satisfied, it's time to play. Now let us act immorally as some of nor verse eight, <laughs> nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and twenty three thousand fell in one day because of their immorality. Nor let us try the Lord, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, again, example for us to look at their life. Don't learn from our own mistakes, learn from the mistakes of others. That's some of the wisest instruction that anybody will receive. Someone will say to me, oh, well, you, you can't learn unless you learn from your mistakes. No, learn from the mistakes of others. This is what Paul is saying. Don't follow that path. Learn from their example. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Now listen to this statement here. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And what Paul is saying, there is not any temptation that has come your way that looks so big and so powerful that God is not faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. There is the restraining power of God. He will not allow you to go through anything you're not able to endure. So Israel is going through some trials. God's allowing it to take place. It should be strengthening their faith and saying, remember the sea, remember the cloud, remember the manna, remember the rock. That was spiritually something God was doing. It was food. It was drink. It was substance for us spiritually. Let's walk by faith. But they did not do that. And God will not allow us to go through anything, just like he did not allow the Israelites to go through anything that they weren't able to handle. And as they were going through it, they didn't, many of them did not pass the test. And they succumbed to the temptation that was there. So then now they can't look at God and say, God, you tempted me to do this, and you brought this unto my life, and you made us to go through the desert and we didn't have food and drink 
uh, properly. No, they should have trusted God. Remember the examples before us. Verse 13 is so powerful to what Paul is saying to the believers at Corinth. Any thoughts about that, Alan? What I, what I think Israel missed here, and, and Paul is pointing it out, is like you said, they, they didn't have this, this attitude of what God has done and his power. It was all about the immediate circumstance they were in, and they weren't looking at the big picture, which really is striking because, if, like you said, if we look at it, we're going to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, and, and, and our life is so temporary, the 80, 100 years, 110, whatever you make it to be, it could be 20, it doesn't matter. It's such a little piece of, of, of time when you look at eternity and, you know, not being thankful for what God had done for them. And, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but I'm kind of inferring what Paul is saying. A little bit of this is that the Israelites just weren't thankful or, or didn't appreciate what God had done for them in and the what past, he was doing yeah. and what he was doing through these trials. And I think I look at it, look at my life and the times when I've struggled or, or had moments where, you know, I was, I was upset at God or didn't, you know, just had a wrong attitude. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of trace that back to that. I just hadn't been thankful for what God had done for me. And ultimately, if he doesn't do anything for me the rest of my life, he's given me Jesus Christ and salvation through him right. in a way to communicate. And that should be enough. And, and that's Israel, everything. Yeah, Israel wasn't looking at this. They were saying, yeah, it got very selfish. And I think that's, that's human nature, that we can get selfish and say, wow, this, this, I'm going through this. You don't love me. You don't care about me. How could this happen? Right. But right here, Paul's saying, no, no temptation has overtaken you, that God is not faithful or will allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Yes. So if you're in it, God knows, and he knows he can bring you through it. He's going to bring you mm-hmm. through it whatever that looks like. And if it's not bringing you through it in life, it's bringing you through it when you get to meet him in heaven and glory, when you go home or when he comes to to bring us back to see him face to face. Yes, and the examples, let me say it in this way, the trials and temptations that we're going through right now, we need to trust God and our faithfulness to God by remembering what God has done in the past serves as an example on the positive side of God's faithfulness, where the Israelites in the wilderness serve as an example on the negative side. God provided for them. This was beyond physical food. This was spiritual food, spiritual drink. They had been baptized into Moses. They had submitted themselves to Moses under his authority, and God was using Moses to bring about his protection, his guidance, and every need in their life was met. But then the mentality from the sinful nature, God, what have you done for me today? So immorality comes in, the testing of God, the grumbling against God, not giving thanks to God, and then we get our eyes off of God, and then we start thinking about the temporal things of life. We come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate example of faith. He is the author and perfecter of faith. By following him, there should be thanksgiving every day within our lives, praise every day, and thinking about the eternal things of God and not the temporal things of this life. And if we do that, then we're going to be a good example for others to see and say, well, I remember Alan went through this, but he trusted God and God was faithful in his life. And so that's where we need to be 
And this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians. And, and just one question for you, Scott, on this. So I know it looks like you mentioned four specific things. So it's, it's idolatry, immorality, testing or tempting, trying the Lord, and then grumbling or complaining. So was this specifically happening in Corinth for him to point these four out? Or was Paul sort of, you know, I don't think he was just saying general, picking a few. You know, was he kind of targeting some issues that were happening? It, it could could be, because when you're dealing with original intent, we know there's an issue of immorality yep. in chapter 5. Uh, the grumbling, the complaining, when you get to the second letter, you see of the grumbling, or I would say the infighting mm-hmm. that's taking place. And so that is seems to indicate that there's something that's going on, fighting between this person and that person, and not not the contentment that needs to be. Mm-hmm. As far as the testing of the Lord, there, there were three things I mentioned. The immorality, the testing of the Lord, and the grumbling. You could look at it and say, yeah, that people were possibly testing the Lord, putting the Lord to the test. And we're never to do that. Think about the temptation of Jesus. When Satan quotes Psalm 91 and throw yourself down and God will protect you. And Jesus responds, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So how that fits into Corinth, I'm not quite sure, but it could have been something that Paul had in his mind of how they were testing or tempting the Lord in a wrong way. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. So whatever Corinth is going through is not something new. You know, sometimes when you're going through a temptation or a trial, you think nobody else has ever experienced this. And that's not true. Because what you're going through here today, the believer in India is going through, and the believer in Russia is going through, the believer in Israel is going through as well. Similarities are there. Human nature is the same. And so what Israel went through, we will experience that as well. But he says, God is faithful. And he will not allow you, Corinth, he will not allow you, Alan, myself, to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So God knows what we can handle. God is faithful, and he's not going to allow us to go through something that we're not able to endure. And this really brings to mind Acts chapter 18. Because when Paul founded the church at Corinth, he was afraid. And God came to him in a vision at night, do not be afraid any longer. And God promised him protection. And for a year and a half in Corinth, no man touched him. When he was in Corinth, he did not have a physical persecution in which he went to. Now, before Corinth and afterwards, he went through a lot of physical persecution. But in Corinth, no man touched him. So God knew that Paul needed a time to be built up and not go through that within his life. And so I think with confidence, looking back, writing to the believers at Corinth, he can say, God's not going to allow you to go through anything that you're not able to endure. He's going to give you the power, the strength. He knows what you can handle, and God is allowing this. He's not bringing it, but he's allowing the believers at Corinth to go through that. Yeah. So it's a long answer to the question, but yes, I believe there's probably 
things within his mind that God is giving him that's dealing directly with situations at Corinth. Yeah, and, and I also like, you know, that verse 13 and, and something I think this applies to today, um, you know, where, where it does say you will be tempted. It's not going to be without challenges, you know, and some of the, the doctrine you hear out there today, oh, everything's going to be perfect, you're going to be blessed and you don't have to have anything wrong you know and that's a very extreme view that some yeah, people they have. say that's a lack of faith if yeah, you have that yeah yeah you're not but it's but this is contradicting that 100 percent where it's saying you're going to have temptations you're going to have trials mm-hmm. but the lord's going to provide a way to escape and he's not right. going to put anything on you right. beyond what you can take the temptation and trials for the the book of jacob the book of james is that they had left everything been kicked out of jerusalem and Jacob writes to them and said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and temptations mm-hmm. because of what God's going to do in your life as you trust him. And so here Jacob was writing that and Paul is writing, avoid Israel's mistakes. Look in the, into the past. Look at people that you have known that did not stand up during a time of temptation and they went with the temptation instead of trusting God. You don't have to repeat that mistake. You can learn from it and say, God is my God. God is a faithful God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, God. You can say, God, you are faithful. I'm going to trust you. So you can be in a prison cell in Iran for your faith and you can know that God's not going to allow you to go through anything that you're not able to handle. And so you can say, praise God. God, you know what I can handle and what I cannot handle. I'm going to trust you. Amen. Now let's go on to verse 14. Do you mind reading, Alan, verses 14 through 22? Sure. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then, that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let's stop right there, Alan. And in that verse 22, when you get to this statement, some people get confused in chapter 10 in chapter 8 because in chapter 8 we're dealing with a different context in chapter 10 and it's going to come out as we read that directly if we're eating from the table of things sacrificed to idols that is participating in something that's demonic and you cannot eat from the table of the Lord and at the same time the table of the demonic That shouldn't be within the body of Christ. As we read, we're going to see this, that it's directly and not indirectly. 
And we mentioned this when we covered 1 Corinthians 8. Chapter 8 is indirectly, and we gave examples. When, when I used to live in India, that people would bring us food and sweets and things like that. We didn't know where it came from. We went to the market, we bought food. We didn't know where it came from, but it was okay for us to eat those things because no one came directly and said, this was offered to Ganesh, Gampati, Hanuman, or some other Hindu god, and give it to us directly. If we do that, then we're participating in the table of the demonic. And we cannot participate in the table of the demonic and at the same time take from the Lord's table of the bread that represents his body and for the wine that represents the blood that was shed for us, the cup of blessing and, and to understand this, no, we cannot do that. This is the Lord's table and we cannot partake of that and the demonic table at the same time. So I want us to read a little bit more and see this context in which I'm talking about. So again, if you could read verses 23 through 30. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Stop there. Anything in the market that's sold, buy it, eat it. It's okay. It's not a, it's not a problem at all. Now let's continue. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Let's stop there again. Sorry, Alan. No, but okay. again, you have an unbeliever that invites you to their house. Whatever is set before you, um, it's okay. You're able to eat anything. Listen, eat anything that is set before you. And we can give thanks to God for that food that is set before us and without asking questions for conscience sake. Now the conscience sake, we'll see what he's talking about here in a minute. Let's continue. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Okay, it's not about my conscience, because I know everything that is there that has been created by God, what is set before me, that I can eat. However, if I'm invited to someone's home, and they come to me, and they set food before me, and they say, this has been dedicated to Zeus. This has been dedicated to one of the gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Hindu gods, whatever gods they are, then I'm not to participate in that. For conscience sake, whose conscience? Not mine, but the person that gave me the food. Let's read that again, verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? It's not for mine. That individual needs to know that that's been dedicated to an idol, which is demonic, and I'm not going to partake of that. For their sake, I'm not going to partake of it. Verse 30, for I partake with thankfulness 
Why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? It's for the other individual so that they will know that we are not going to participate in the table of the demonic. And as a believer, I'm not going to put those two together and syncretize them and say, oh, it's okay. Let's eat here, do this. But if someone comes down and says this was given to an idol here, enjoy for his sake, I'm not going to participate in it. And that's how we approached living almost 11 years in India when a neighbor would come and give us some sweets. We didn't ask questions. But if they said this was offered to Hanuman, the monkey god, we'd say no. No, we cannot participate in that. I want them to know that as a believer, I don't participate in both tables. And this is what is very important. Now, the sweets, no problem with the sweets. They're just sweets. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to participate in both as a believer, and I want that individual, my neighbor, to know that I don't participate in idol worship at all. This is very clear. It's a different context in chapter 8 because in chapter 8, the meat is going from the temple to the market, probably coming to them. And then there were some believers who were saying, we cannot eat meat at all because it probably came from the temple first. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's okay. But for the sake of the weaker brother that says it's wrong to eat of that meat that indirectly comes from the temple, he says, "If, if... Eating meat causes my brother to stumble. I won't eat meat. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard one for me because I love eating meat. (laughs) And so you look at that. If it causes them to stumble, if they have a problem with them, and I tell them to do something that's against their own conscience, it it could be devastating for them. Paul says, I won't eat meat. It's no big deal. Yeah, this this seems to be a, a big issue in Corinth, you know, for Paul to address it sort of two different ways, you know, in two different chapters, you know, where he's right. saying for the sake of the Christian brother and his walk, but now it's also for the sake of the person that's participating in the idol worship that's that's doing the demonic sacrifices. So this seemed to really be a yes. big thing that was happening in Corinth right now, with yeah. you know, in terms and, of original intent. And uh, chapter 8 is indirectly mm-hmm. the meat is coming. Chapter 10 is directly. Mm-hmm. And we have to think about our witness and our testimony for that person that's giving it to us. So are we in bondage? Of course. We are in bondage and we are slaves to our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We are slaves to righteousness. We are bound to him. So we must always think what we do is not about my rights. It's about what is right in the sight of God. And that's in every aspect. That principle is across the board. Everything that you do, you should ask the question, does this glorify God? Does this edify the body of the Messiah? Let's finish with these last three verses. I'll read them. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Gentiles or Greeks. Or to the church of God. You've got to think of others. We're doing everything to the glory of God. And we're there to edify. And to witness to Jews. To Greeks. And people within the church of God. To edify the body of Christ. Just as I also please all men. In all things. Not seeking my own profit. 
but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. So we're thinking about the salvation of others. We're thinking about other individuals and what they, their perception of us in this context. We want to see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. In other contexts, Paul, Paul says, I'm trying to please God and not men. And that's in the context of doing what is right in the sight of God in the face of opposition of what is right. And so that we cannot compromise on certain things. But here is for the sake of getting the gospel to others and to edify the body and to glorify God. It's not about us. It's about God and it's about others. Yeah, and I love how this, you know, if we look at the flow of thought and, and remove sort of the chapter verse barriers, you know, this ties right back into chapter 9 where Paul's talking about his liberty and giving it up. And then he kind of right. just puts a, a bow on it here at the end of it and said, you know, all these things we just talk about, you know, we're going to do this for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And whatever it is for the Jew, for the Greek, for the church, I'm doing it for them. And I'm giving up what I can do because, you know, in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all in it contains. It's okay to eat these things. We know that. But I'm going to give up my rights, yes. not only for the, the Christian brother, but for the Jew, for the Greek, and for everybody else. And that's what it's about. Those inside the body, those outside of the body. Mm -hmm. God is first in everything that we do. Glorify God. Minister unto the Lord. Second, we minister to others in the body, outside of the body. And third, we're always last. And in fact, we're dead. In a Western context, when we think about what we should do, this or that, should we do it, should we, should we not do it, we're not thinking in that way. We're thinking, oh, what is right for me? And if you put any rules on me in your teaching, you're legalistic. Mm -hmm. That's normally what comes about from a typical, I, I want to use this word, hippie believer today. Because the hippie movement was an Eastern movement where it was all about me. Get rid of all the rule, rules and I'll do whatever is right for me. And as long as I'm happy, I'll be a better person and I'll treat other people in the right way. It's absolutely wrong. It's a demonic foundation. So it's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about being bound to the Lord Jesus Christ. About glorifying God, ministering to others. And I'm dead. I'm last. So in the equation of life, when you get up in the morning, do not ask the question, what can I do? What can I not do? Just die to yourself and live for God, minister to others, and be led by God's Spirit, and you will be an example of what it means to follow Christ. Now read one verse of chapter 11, and this really brings the essence of what he is saying. Chapter 10, avoid Israel's mistake. But look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Can you read that? Yep. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Some translations, follow me as I follow Christ. So what he is saying, he lives in his life. Going back to chapter 9. Chapter 10 is avoid others' mistakes. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so the way that he is bringing these principles, he's looking at the life of Christ who submitted himself to the Father, even to the point of death, of going to the cross, not for his sin, his wrongdoing, but for the sins of the world. And if we have that mindset, 
that we can say, Paul is not being arrogant here. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate him. If you look at my life and if you see the life of Christ, then follow that. Avoid Israel's mistakes, but follow me as I follow Christ. And we can say that to anyone as long as we're following Christ. Most people say today, don't put your eyes upon me because I'll fail you. And I understand what they're saying, but this is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, put your eyes on me, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's such a powerful statement that we should be able to say to the body of Christ. Amen. Let's end in a word of prayer. And Alan, can you close us in prayer? Dear Lord, we just thank you, God, for this word. We thank you for your word, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would just take away anything, um, Lord, out of this teaching, Lord, that was not of you, God, but bring everything that was of you to the forefront, God. Lord, continue to speak to us, God. Keep us thankful, Lord. Keep us humble, Lord. And always keep us focused on your glory, God. Let it be about you. Let it be about glorifying your name in everything that we do, Lord. And help us to be mindful of the unbeliever, God. Help us to be mindful of the believer, Lord. And let our decisions God, be made firstly to glorify you, but also to edify the believer and the unbeliever, Lord. And we just thank you, God, for what you're doing in this day and this generation, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.